Welcome to the Decide Your Legacy podcast, helping individuals and businesses unleash their potential. Join us every episode as host Adam Gregg discusses what is holding us back and how to find hope for moving forward. Along the way, we discuss developing healthy relationships and navigating life transitions while overcoming fear, stress, and anxiety. Live the life you want, the legacy you decide. Welcome to the Decide Your Legacy podcast. I had a situation recently where somebody asked me, what is the one piece of advice you would give to somebody if you only had just a few, a minute to give them a piece of advice on how to build a healthy relationship? And I thought about that for probably a week. And today what I'm gonna do with you today is I'm gonna share with you two secrets on mending relationships. And I'm gonna give you my two best pieces of quick advice that if you follow these, it's gonna have the biggest impact on your relationships. And I'm talking about your close relationships. It applies to work. It applies to home. It applies to romantic relationships. It applies to relationships with your kids. It applies to the relationships you have with parents all over the gamut. So if you found this podcast helpful and haven't already done so, which I know hundreds and hundreds of you are listening to this episode and haven't already done so, but pull out your phone, take 15 seconds, give it a rating and review on Apple or Spotify, share something about it that helps it to spread organically, subscribe, that helps it reach more people to help more people. And I'm so excited about the amount of people it's helping now. It's growing significantly and it's thanks to you, but I need more help. So here's a risk that I've taken recently. And this is something that may not sound like a risk for many of you listening, but I'm the kind of person that tends to be a people pleaser. So I asked for advice from friends, from family, from coworkers, from people that work for me, from people that are mentors. And I have trouble not wanting to apply all of this advice. And what I've learned to do over time is to trust myself more than anything, to trust my own instincts, not my feelings and my thoughts, because they can be lying to me, but trust my intuition in situations. And so I've done some things that have been not against the advice blatantly, but I've taken in the advice from multiple sources and I've made my own decisions. Man, that's kind of scary, making your own decisions and realizing I have to live with the consequences, but it feels freeing that I made these decisions. I can't point a finger at somebody. I can't blame anybody else but myself, but I'm doing it on my own. I'm doing it myself. And so some of those decisions related to hiring, growing the business, some of them relate to parenting, some of them relate to dealing with clients, but I'm making them on my own and it feels really good. So I'm your host, Adam Gragg, and I'm a legacy coach, speaker, mental health professional for almost 25 years. My life purpose is to help people and organizations find transformational clarity, the kind of clarity that propels them forward to face their biggest fears, to do the things where they're stuck, to face it, so they can live and leave their desired legacy, not the legacy someone else has set out for them, their desired legacy. I talk about stuff that you can describe to your six-year-old and they can understand it. So I'm striving to explain things in a simple way I am a fellow traveler. I struggle with the things I talk about myself, and I challenge you to listen not just as a student, but as a teacher. How can you teach something that you learned today to somebody else in the next 24 hours so that it sticks more in your life? This is the podcast that you do, not just listen to. So let's start with an action. I want you to think about what's a relationship in your life. It could be an intimate, close romantic relationship. It could be a relationship with one of your children or friends, but a close relationship where there's some tension. And where some issues that you know are there and lingering, they're lasting, are not being addressed. I want you to write that down on your journal or speak that into your phone, hopefully writing in a paper journal. You can stop the podcast. You can start it up after you write this down. I don't care, but I want you to identify something, some relationship where there's some tension and some struggle. In this podcast today, you are going to get some tools on, make, on mending this relationship, on moving this relationship forward. 
we're going to unpack that in the content today. So your posse is a group of people that are like-minded, that have the same type of values and the same type of purpose. We can have a negative posse or a positive posse. I'm encouraging you to have a positive posse. I like that word. I like the definition. That's why it sticks with me. The word's kind of cool, but I mean, it sticks because of the definition for me. And so good, healthy relationships impact our lives significantly. I can't emphasize that enough. The people that you hang around with consistently are going to have a huge impact on your life and your outlook and the decisions you make and the decisions you don't make. If you're hanging around a negative posse, you're going to have some problems. If you got a positive, encouraging, challenging, courageous posse, you're going to be moving forward. It's going to impact your life. A lot of people are afraid to change their relationships because they want what is safe and what they know when that's really one of the main reasons they're being held back and they're stuck. And there's two main ways that people can mend their relationships. And these are really things that are damaging that you can change and alter. And so again, your relationships will help you have clarity in your life. Your relationships will help you move towards your goals or away from your goals. That positive, encourage those positive, encouraging relationships help you move and challenge things in your life, to see things from a different perspective, to have a healthier new perspective, to get out of your head, to change your emotional state, to change your thinking from positive to more, I mean, from negative to more positive and encouraging and hopeful has a huge impact. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I can tell the direction and really the results somebody's going to have in their lives by their two to three closest friends. Their two to three closest friends have a huge impact. And if you have more, that is great. You could say five closest friends. I don't care. But here's number one. This is a real damaging thing that happens in relationships, avoidance and withdrawal. And what I mean by that is when you're avoiding core issues or you're withdrawing and not actually addressing those at all. And so they say that the opposite of love is indifference. So you're expressing some level of indifference, maybe not what you really feel. It may not be what you're really thinking, but that's what you're expressing in your actions. And again, I'll say, I believe people's actions much more than their intentions. I will judge people by their actions, not their intentions, by their merit, not by the externals or what they say. And you want to look at somebody's life to know whether you can trust somebody by their actions. What decisions are they making consistently? Avoidance and withdrawal can be abusive. It can be extremely damaging if you grow up in that kind of environment. I'll give you some examples here. So a parent that withholds love when the child doesn't do things the way that they want them to do things. So I see this in divorce custody situations frequently where a child will be negative towards one parent and that's actually the parent that they trust the most because they feel the safest expressing negative emotion to that parent. Yet they also get validation from one of the parents that they don't trust because they're expressing that negative emotion to that other parent that they have for that parent and they're creating some kind of a bond based on their their angst towards the other parent. And so it's very misleading for people. They don't know, you can't really trust necessarily what a child is saying and expressing because they may be getting validation from a parent where they have a lot of insecurity. Not a good thing. It breeds a level of distrust because with parents, we wanna have this level of unconditional love and acceptance that regardless of what you do and the decisions you make, you are going to be loved and accepted. So I try to tell my daughter, you know, I love you, I'm committed to you, I'm gonna always be here for you, regardless of the decisions you make. And that vibe and that aura, I believe comes out of me with her and I believe it creates a great deal of security with her. It may make things difficult at times because again, you can be blamed for things that you really you haven't done because blame is just an external 
internalization of something that's going on internally with you, and it can go towards the wrong source. So people can be extremely angry about their spouse dying of COVID, and maybe their spouse didn't have the immunizations because they didn't want to get them, and they ended up dying in the hospital, and then they go on this blame thing where they're blaming everybody except the situation and the decisions that were actually made. I mean, very unfortunate. I'm not saying anything about vaccinations here whatsoever, but we have to make sure we target our blame towards the real source of our blame. And so avoidance and withdrawal, which is actually a found, those are foundational things related to addiction. We're targeting often the wrong things. We're avoiding the right ones that we have to address that we need to address in order to get some resolution and to move forward in our lives. And we're facing, we're targeting that blame towards things externally that really aren't the core issue. Happens over and over again. It's why people escape. You know, when people don't have a purpose in their life, when people are trying to find a purpose, but they can't or they won't or they won't make the changes in their life, you know, they go to pleasure or they go to blame or they go to some external thing to solve their internal problem, which you can't solve with an external solution. It's got to be at the source, at the issue. So you have other issues too, like, you know, aging parents who don't talk to their kids about their will and they create this ambiguity and they don't know, kids don't know what they want at their funeral. They don't know what they want as far as a eulogy. They don't know what they want as far as their assets being distributed and everything, maybe it's written down, but it's not talked about and they don't get feedback from their kids because they're afraid. They're afraid of the feedback and the dialogue and it all boils down to fear. So much in life boils down to fear. That's why it's my purpose in life to help people face their biggest fears and identify what those biggest fears are because so many people don't even want to think about that. Like what are their real fears? Because it's something oftentimes a fear that they need to face that's way unrelated to what they're actually creating as an issue at the surface. It's way unrelated because it could be something related to their parents or their childhood or some trauma that they have. But these parents who don't talk to their kids about their will, or they create situations where there's ambiguity and drama rather than dealing with the core issue at hand. Those are all avoidance strategies. So when parents say, I won't talk about that, or when a child says, I won't talk about that, they just want to avoid it. And a good parent's going to maybe lay off for a while, but then bring it up in a calm, loving way, because it's probably a core issue that needs to be talked about. It's subtle threats as well can be an avoidance strategy and very, very damaging because you're withholding love. You're threatening to pull away and people know because it's a control tactic. So relationally, when you have people around you that you're supposed to have great trust in or should be very trustworthy people in your life, and there's this there's this anxiety about the fact that they could pull away if you don't do things their way. This anxiety that if you address issues, they're going to they're going to reject you. They're going to run. And don't take that personally because when you address core issues, oftentimes it's exactly the way it needs to be addressed. And their defensiveness is a reflection of them, not necessarily of the content you're bringing up. So, we're not defensive about things that at some level we don't believe to be true about ourselves or why would we defend it? So, I've told you this before, you know, if someone said to me I'm fat, you're Adam, you're fat and you're ugly and you're short. I would just walk on by saying you're delusional. I wouldn't say that to them. I just think, oh my gosh, I got to stay away from this guy because they obviously don't know what they're looking at. Because I'm 6'3 and I'm 185. I would look at somebody and say, okay, you know, this is crazy, whatever. I wouldn't really defend that, you know. But if someone told me, Adam, you've made some bad decisions with your business. Well, then I potentially could defend myself because I have a little bit of insecurity at times about decisions I've made in the past. But who doesn't as a business owner? It's kind of this big monster of a thing to manage. And of course, you're going to make some decisions and you're going to learn from those decisions. But it would be a reflection of me if I got defensive about it. And hopefully I could hold back and not really get too defensive about it because I wouldn't want to be. So that avoidance and withdrawal, how are you avoiding core issues with your kids, with your spouse, with your friends, with your coworkers, and you just continually avoid 
avoid. It could be by some addictive type behavior, a substance, or it could be type a type of workaholism that you engage in where you're not facing the core issue. It could be through some kind of a hobby, some kind of activity, because again, avoidance and withdrawal are core foundational things that underlie addiction. In every in every situation I've seen, at least. So I mean, you show me a case where it's not that we where that's not really a foundational thing, then I mean, where pain isn't involved and I'm gonna avoid that pain or something isn't involved relationally or whatever, some traumatic event in the past where it's driving that addiction. So we have these things that happen. And you may not even be aware that you're doing this kind of stuff, but my challenge for you today is to be aware that when you're pulling away or where there is that threat of insecurity, you know, I've had, I've had people in my office, you know, teens in my office, and I don't work with teens much, but, but they'll tell me things like, you know, I'm afraid that my dad will leave, or I'm afraid that if I address this with my dad, he'll reject me. And they'll tell me that kind of stuff, and I will subtly try to communicate that with the parents in those situations, because I don't want to hold things from the parents by any means. And it's this fear that is there, and that needs to be corrected by the adult, because for some reason, they have probably had some abandonment issues. They have had some rejection issues. They've had their own trauma they haven't worked through, and that parent's conveying this potential rejection onto the child, which is real most likely. It may not be intentional, it may be subconscious, but it's something that has to be addressed for you to have a trusting relationship. And so I'm gonna link in the show notes to one episode on overcoming the fear of rejection. It's episode 31 of the Decide Your Legacy podcast. If you wanna check that out, if you want some insight on how to handle rejection or potential rejection. So this avoidance and withdrawal, what do you do about it though? So if you're recognizing in yourself, you're getting some space and you know that you have been manipulative, you have withheld love, you have her people by not communicating well and by leaving things ambiguously out there. I think that's the main issue with ghosting when it comes to dating is because somebody is interested in you or you're interested in somebody else and their approach to that situation is to communicate that, hey, I don't think this is going to go anywhere or I think this maybe could go somewhere if we live closer or just some kind of information that gives them some insight into your head. When you just leave it ambiguous, it just creates this anxiety and they're waiting and they're just left hanging. And that's a control manipulative tactic. When parents do that to their grown kids, when they somehow subtly threat to do things, which I've seen this stuff dozens and dozens of times where parents will subtly threat if they're a adult children don't do the things the way that they want them to with their career or with their parenting, that they're going to somehow distance from them. And it could be distancing by not visiting them as much or distancing them by making them, not making them the executor of the will or changing the will or changing some kind of structure or distancing by not spending holidays at their house. All these things are absolutely manipulative. And I encourage you to become aware of them. In some cases, they're purely, if they're intentional and knowingly being done after it's been identified to you that you do this kind of thing and you still do that kind of stuff reactively, then I put that in the grounds of, you know, that that's, that's malevolence. I mean, that's like you intentionally doing something. It's like premeditated, you know, better, and you're still doing it. We can't do that kind of stuff in our lives. There's great consequences to continuing to do malevolent type behavior, knowing better. There's, there's, there's great consequences to that. So if, if I know better, which I've learned through dating, I've learned that I got to be a better communicator. I got to treat people the way I want to be treated. That ghosting or not communicating when you're not interested is actually can be an active, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, 
it's a manipulative type safety thing that can be very cruel, not intentionally on my part. I don't believe I've ever intentionally done that on my part, but I'm trying to realize and step in other people's shoes and empathize with like, well, they and their feelings are theirs. And I don't know how they're feeling, but them knowing how I'm feeling and not leaving anything in limbo, not creating that ambiguity is, is the right thing to do. It's the kind thing to do. Clarity is kind. Clarity is kind and giving clarity is kind, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it discourages people, even if it makes somebody upset and angry and mad, you're doing the right thing. And that's the key is to do the right thing. The next right thing that God puts in front of you, the next right thing that you know you should do, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's inconvenient. In fact, that's one of the things that I, that's when I know I have a true friend. And when I'm experiencing real love is when they're willing to do things that are sacrificial and inconvenient, despite their own schedule and their agenda and their age and whatever inconvenience it causes to them financially and whatever it may be. I mean, I can think of a time and I've shared this before, but one time my brother was going through a very, very, very hard time. And it was like, I remember finding out that he had been struggling and I just broke down. I had never in my life to that point cried so much in my life. And I went to my office and people were having trouble consoling me. And I remember the next day I got a plane ticket and I flew out and saw him and I was, did the right, that was the right thing for me to do. And I realized at that point how much I love this guy, even though he annoys the hell out of me, but how much I love my brother. And I mean, I knew of course, and I, you know, we tell each other, we love each other and stuff, but, but you know, that moment just sinks in because I really felt scared and I felt like he needed somebody around him that day right now. And one of the things maybe the saddest is he had no family around him. And so I remedied that, but I want to people that that are my friends and my family. And one of my legacies, one of parts of my legacy statement is that I'm there for people I love when they need me the most, when they need me the most, you know, I'm not going to worry about being there at those other times. I'm going to try to be there, but when they need me the most, I'm going to buy that plane ticket and be there. I'm going to go out and be in the hospital with them. I'm going to be there when they're struggling with one of their kids. And I don't know if I've done that perfectly. I know, in fact, actually, I know I haven't, I know I've failed. And I have some situations where I deeply regret with one friend, which I feel like I've made right, but I want to be the guy who's there when you need them the most. So what do we do about this? So we blame the right thing. So you have to do your own internal work to get space and say, really, what is the core issue here? Why am I avoiding? Because that avoidance is often driven by some form of blame towards that person we're withdrawing from or avoiding or that situation we're avoiding talking to them about. It's usually a person, but why are we blaming them? Is they Are they really the source of our anger and our hurt and our pain? Or do we need to go to the actual source and face that? And, you know, come on, be courageous. Be courageous and face the real source, the core issue, not to go blaming other people for all these things that aren't really the source of our problem here. It's not that. We got to look at and say, okay, this is what we're blaming. And is it right? Is it right to have that kind of negativity towards this person? Should I have it towards something else? So number two, one thing we can do about this avoidance and withdrawal tendency is we can face our past. We must recognize this tendency and where its roots come from. So how is this connected to my past, this tendency to avoid? And very likely it's connected to some kind of hurt or loss or trauma or pain or regret that we have that we haven't fully processed and faced. And unfortunately, our society will tell us things like you're weak if you have to go back to the past and try to figure out what 
is impacting you today based on your past. You should just ignore that stuff, move on, focus on the future. I get it. We don't want to live in the past. We don't want to hang out and be stuck in the past, but we don't get past the past until we face it. We just don't. It can't be healed until we face it. And we admit and acknowledge that this impacts our relationships. It impacts our dynamics with people. It impacts what we do and don't do, the risks we're willing to take and not willing to take. And then we face it, then we can let go of it. Because the people that are healthiest related to their past are willing to talk about it and say, this impacted me and it still impacts me, but it's not going to keep me stuck because I recognize it and I can use this to propel me forward and to help other people and to see that this mistake I made can be used for good. Because for me, it's like, you know, God's a great redeemer. I mean, he can take the worst of the worst to make it into something good. I don't know how, but I've seen him do it and I've seen him do it in my life. We can also face the situation at hand. We can face it by getting to the core issue and by saying to ourselves and asking ourselves the question, what evidence do we have in this situation that this is true, this thing that I believe that's leading me to want to avoid and assume? Like maybe you're you're avoiding a situation because you believe someone's going to react in a negative way, but you don't have any evidence of that, but you're questioning that and you're asking yourself, what's the benefit of me thinking this way? It's probably because it's keeping you safe in some way. Is there evidence of that? And maybe there is with other people, but not that person. Or what... How is it impacting my emotions and my actions by thinking this thought? You know, what's a healthier perspective? And if any one of you is interested in seeing my favorite list of 10 questions that I ask myself when I know I'm getting stuck in my head and worried and anxious, email me at adam at decideyourlegacy.com and I'll send you a PDF of this bookmark that I give to clients that I see live. And actually I send to clients, a lot of them when I see them over Zoom, which is a lot of people, which is probably a very big chunk of who I see. It's international or all over the country, national clients. But I'll, I'll send that to you if you reach out to me. You got to do Adam Gregg at Decide Your Legacy, Adam at DecideYourLegacy.com. So I also want to link in this podcast to an episode, episode 77 of this podcast called Get Your Mind to Shut Up. It's from last week. So if you want to figure out how you can step away from your thoughts that are leading you to want to avoid, I'm going to get hurt, I'm going to get rejected, and you want some tools to able to get your mind to shut up, you know, like, <laughs> then you want to listen to that podcast. And also episode 62 is on building trust with other people. So essential things to build trust. So if you've had situations where you've made this mistake of a avoiding and withdrawing. Well, some repair work that needs to be done, but you can do the repair work because you're getting awareness and insight by listening to this podcast. You're getting awareness and insight. So if you found this podcast helpful up till now, I want you to hit the link to Shatterproof Yourself. It's seven simple steps to better mental health. And you will only get that by being on my subscriber list. And it's a video that has slides and a workbook that's exclusive to my subscribers. And you will not want to miss that. It's taken me a year to put this information together. It's really taken me 25 years, 30 years to put this information together. And it is going to rock your world. And it's going to be something that you will not want to miss. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. And so I'm so excited about this thing. And I know you will be too once you check it out. So the second big mistake that people make that leads to me talking about these two, the second secret to many relationships is people, they they go ahead in relationships and they believe their assumptions. So, so believing our feelings and believing our thinking is a huge mistake that people make. I mean, if we, and those lead to our assumptions about other people, for example, we can have assumptions or make judgments about somebody based on how they look or based on how they talk or based on what 
you know, based on the past, even though they've made great changes in the dynamics in your relationship, we can jump to conclusions and we just believe it and react rather than responding. You know, Viktor Frankl has been a very inspiring author to me. I mean, for the past decade, I've probably recommended his book, Man's Search for Meaning, probably the past 22 decades. I've probably recommended it to, you know, a couple hundred clients and I probably should recommend it to all my clients, but this is a great book because he was a survivor of the Holocaust and he saw the worst of the worst. And then he came out, he was a physician and a psychiatrist and he wrote this book and he created a style of therapy and he has this famous quote that I really thought this was, and I credited it to Stephen Covey, but I realized that no, it's from Viktor Frankl. It's between stimulus and response, there is a space. Between stimulus or a trigger or a situation that happens, there's a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom and our freedom, our power. So we have the responsibility to see how we're being triggered or stimulated, a stimulus or a situation that's that's bothering us in some way. And then we're starting to make assumptions about it or we can step back and say, wait a second here, that's not accurate. You know, it's pretty easy for me in my situation to say, you know, it's hard for me at times to trust. And I've had some situations where I've been hurt. And so for me to trust in a dating relationship, for me to trust even in friendships, it can be an intentional choice based on my natural, unintentional reaction tendency to distance. But if I step back and say, you know what, give it a shot. You know, there's no evidence that this person's going to hurt you. There's no evidence that this, I mean, come on, come on, you know, let go of that, Adam. Shut up, shut the voice up. You can build a relationship with this person. You can give them a shot, you know, gather evidence that's based on their actions with you in the moment, not based on these assumptions that you're making. So we have these assumptions. So we can have assumptions and I see this and I've seen it in my office many times, you know, my spouse is cheating on me. I'm just there thinking this and thinking this and ruminating on it. Or they even have this thought like, well, they're mean to me, they abuse me. And, and really they're just being firm and they're addressing a concern. But we in our minds have this assumption that when people address concerns, so they can equate some level of concern or discussion with conflict and being beat down and being judged and being criticized when really they're just trying to actually address a concern. So we want to question our assumptions. We can, in a dating sense, say, well, they're not interested in me. And again, that's our mind chiming in. That's that voice in our head. But it's an assumption. Do we have any facts on that? Do we have any factual information? What, they didn't text you for a day? What, they didn't text you for two days? Well, you don't know what's going on in their life. Maybe that's just their style. Maybe they don't want to go too fast. Maybe they are interested, but they are wondering what they should text you. You don't know, but you can try to go and draw all these conclusions in your mind without actually getting accurate information. A lot of this work needs to be done in your own head by doing your own self-work and focusing on your own self-talk so you can realize that, okay, that's not accurate. That's not true. I mean, here is the truth. I'm believing that because of my past. That's keeping me safe. I have no evidence of this. And it's damaging for me to believe this. And I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say, shut up. I'm going to move forward. You can make assumptions about someone being late. You know, they're late because they don't really care. Or they're late because they don't really value the relationship. Or they're late because they don't really value their job. Rather than clarifying the assumption and getting really the facts on what is actually happening. So 
it's also called a negative interpretation in a relationship. I've heard it called, you know, you always draw a negative interpretation to whatever you're perceiving in the other person. It's not a positive interpretation, like they're late because, oh my gosh, what happened to them? Or I know there's trains probably going on or traffic or whatever, or maybe you just say, well, who cares? I mean, they're five minutes late. It's not a big deal. I mean, come on. I mean, you talk to yourself about that and you tell yourself the truth and you get to step back. And so you work on that. If you struggle with believing your assumptions about people, rather than just stepping back and getting some space, and that's a problem you want to correct, or else it's going to be damaging to your relationships. And you clarify your assumptions by asking for clarity, by saying, hey, I've been thinking this, or I perceive this situation in this way. Is this accurate? I could be totally wrong about this, but I just want to get some clarity. And the other person, they could get defensive about it, but more often than not, they're going to be, well, you started off softly, and they're asking you a legitimate question and trying to get some clarity and they're being curious and you're going to say, no, I didn't really intend that. Or they're going to say, yes, I did. And maybe they'll apologize or maybe they'll say, I don't care, but you're getting some clarity because you're clarifying your assumption and not letting it just spin and spin in your head. And again, you don't want to clarify every single assumption, but you want to clarify the ones that continue to linger where you, and it may be embarrassing. I know building a relationship with somebody brand new and a dating relationship or a new friendship is going to require you to clarify a lot of assumptions, most likely, because you know you have things that they relate in a different way than you because they're a different person, which you want to have happen. And you want to relate to different people that are even a further ahead in life than you or have a different level of whatever in than you have, you know, that you want to learn and glean from. And so you're going to get situations where you misinterpret something and then you clarify it. And so, you know, so you haven't wanted to do things for the last week or so and get lunch. I've asked you a couple of times and, you know, my assumption, which I don't know if it's right or not. I mean, I'm just clarifying it is that that it hasn't been a priority. And I just wanted to clarify that because I don't know if that's true. And they say, no, it's not, it's not, it's not true at all. I mean, I've been going with through this stuff. My dad has, has prostate cancer and I'm just been overwhelmed by that and dealing with it. And then, then you say, well, I didn't know that, man, you know, I'm sorry. I mean, feel bad now just having that assumption and well, what can I do to help? And they're like, well, it's good to talk to somebody about it because I haven't talked to anybody about it and it's really been bothering me. And then it ends up building the relationship because when you have the courage to clarify assumptions and you get to the core issues and you get to know somebody and you take a risk, you got to be vulnerable. I mean, I had a client last week. She is wondering about the future of her relationship and didn't know if the guy's interested or whatever. And I'm like, well, you could text him or call him right now, right? You know, and kind of see what's going on because it had been a week or so and they hadn't really talked or whatever and didn't want to do that in the moment. I was not pressuring her whatsoever, but it was, you know, kind of scripted out what she would say, like, you know, haven't heard from you for in, in a while and just wondering if the relationship is something you're interested in pursuing or not. And I mean, think really highly of you, just wanted to get some clarity. And I don't know if she did it or not, but who knows? I mean, that would be a real courageous thing to do and a healthy thing to do because you're getting some clarity for your assumptions. So what do you do if you struggle with this? If you just always believe this stuff that goes on in your head about other people that you're close to? Well, here's the good news is that, you know, it, it's not that hard. It is uncomfortable and it is vulnerable because in by vulnerable, I mean, you are like a dog letting somebody pet him on the belly and play with his paws. You're trusting, you're trusting. And you may not have a ton of evidence that you can trust this person, but you don't have evidence that you can't. So you're willing to be vulnerable and being vulnerable will mean clarifying assumptions. So here's what I heard. Is this accurate? You know, what did you mean when you said that? What did you mean when you said I didn't care? What did you mean when you said that you felt like I was irresponsible? And you ask questions and they have to answer. And sometimes it's going to make them real uncomfortable because they may have made real judgments based on what they said to you or what they experienced with you that, and they said some harsh things. And so you have to clarify that. I mean, parents of teens have to do that 
or should or could do that pretty consistently. You know, what did you mean by that? You know, you said that I'm yelling and I don't believe I'm yelling. So what is it about the way I'm talking that's yelling? You know, you're clarifying an assumption with them. And then they get to explain, well, you know, it's the facial expressions, or it's because you're you're always standing up while I'm sitting down, or maybe you get some very valuable information because you clarify that assumption. So the second thing is to challenge your assumptions yourself. So doing that internal work, asking yourself those questions, journaling. Have you heard that before from me? Journaling, because it's clearer on paper than it is in your head. And it's going to get out on paper where you can see it for what it really is. And then you start seeing that that's an assumption and that's not really accurate. That's not true. That's not really helpful. That's not healthy. That's based on my past. I got to deal with my past. That's what journaling will actually help you to do. I need to correct that. What's a healthier perspective? What's a different way of looking at it? Or how would this other person who has a healthy, optimistic perspective in this situation think about it? Great questions to journal about. So, and then the third thing is to face your past. And I can't say that enough. I mean, again, I've already mentioned this once, but we got to face our past so we see how it impacts us so it no longer has power over our lives today in the future. And that trauma creates this these cognitive distortions in our head, all or nothing, good or bad. So we start to explain the world in the most simplistic way possible. And often it's very unhealthy and inaccurate. It's like they're dangerous or they're safe. They're dangerous or they're safe, but happiness and joy is found in the middle. You know, I've heard this a number of different times and I believe it so much. We can't be striving for happiness. It's a part of the process. It's a part of living a good life and being courageous and addressing things and making the right decisions and doing things that are scary. And then eventually happiness comes, but it can't, be controlled, just like joy is in the process. And enjoying the process or trying to find and be present in the moment is the key. And letting go of the outcome, knowing what the outcome is and pursuing the outcome, having a goal, having a vision, absolutely. But letting go of the outcome, adjusting your vision, basically, over time, based on the circumstances, but being willing to let go and consistently focus on what I got to do today, the next right thing. There you have it. So in review, two big mistakes people make is avoidance and withdrawal. I gave you some great tools to deal with that if that's your challenge. And then clarifying your assumptions. So we believing, the big mistake is believing our assumptions, believing all of our thoughts and feelings about other people, especially the people that we love. Come on, we gotta question our assumptions. So have me out to speak live or over Zoom. Engage with me or one of my other legacy coaches with coaching. Love to take you on or talk to you about becoming a client or get you in one of our coaching groups with Decide Your Legacy. So what resonated most with you today? In the next 24 hours, I would encourage you to teach that concept to somebody else naturally. Don't make it weird. Just kind of bring it up. I learned this, whatever. Take an emotional risk based on something that you learned today. That one big thing. So remember my rule. 30% of transformational change is insight, clarity, but 70% or more, maybe even 80% is action. You got to do something, take an emotional risk based on what you learned today. Love to talk to your team, as I said, and I'll sign off the way I always do. Make it your mission to live the life now that you want to be remembered for 10 years after you're gone. Live that life today. You decide your legacy, no one else. I appreciate you greatly, and I'll see you next time. This show is part of the ICT Podcast Network. For more information, visit ictpod.net.